Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Josephine, we've just uh, got ready for the show. We have. We've had a, a bit of a brought in some muffins. I know, and they were still they were still hot from the oven. They were warm. Well, yes, they're, they're, they were, they're they were better warm. when they when they are hot. But boy, tell you what, a, a muffin is a beautiful thing. It is, Especially and this one it, had berries in it. Well, it's virtuous then, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's like the virtuous muffin. Um, if you've never made a muffin before, are you a muffin maker? You're much of a baker. I. Look, I, I was one of fell into one of the cliches of getting into baking during isolation, I have to admit. Yeah. Um, so I do bake a little bit, but I wouldn't say that I am a baker. I feel like that would not be favourable to real bakers. Sorry um, to cut across you. That's or? okay. Um, well, I don't know if this falls for baking, except I uh, made a very nice lemon tart. Came out of that the was, oven. Yep, came out of the oven. That was a, a highlight. A lemon tart. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. It's like the full on when you have to... Blind make, bake, make, blind, blind bake, bake the pastry. Make the mixture, let it set for 12 hours or something like that. Yeah, I mean, we didn't do 12 hours. I'm, I'm, I'm no, not going to lie. Screw that. But we did get it from uh, um, this this great cookbook that we got dusted off from one of the bookshelves mm. um, at our place, uh, A World of France. So it was authentic. Did uh, you say A World of France? A World of France. What, printed in the 70s or something? Uh, I actually don't know. I think that was the title. Yeah. Yeah, I might need to double check that and come back next time. But. Uh, okay. And but World of France, the the yeah. So the it recipe takes you worked. it takes you around each um, each region in France and gives you gives you recipes from that region. So it's like a tour de France, tour de France without yeah. bicycles. Yes, exactly. But without and without, you know, here's one that I was thinking. Of. The Tour de France has been cancelled. I don't normally talk about sport, but I was thinking about poor old Gabriel Gatte because oh. he would have lost his gig this year. He won't be going around France going, and then we do the great pastry. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Now, uh, before we move on, there was just something that um, struck me in the news today. Have you ever had Muay Thai? I don't think so. You you were hanging around in – I was in Romania. Romania. Romania, my God. Um, And they drink white spirit. They'd be into slivovitz and stuff over there. It's similar. It's called palinka. Palinka. Or or tsuika. Tsuika. Tsuika sounds like face flambe. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The the hard stuff. No mucking around. No mucking around. No. It'd be nice to have a little bit and some coffee, maybe. Yeah. A tiny bit. 15 mil. I don't think they even bother with that. It's just. It's just. Just <laughs> sipping it straight, no ice. Nah, no, no. Get none it of in that. you. Yeah. Well, the Chinese have a thing called uh, Muay Thai. I don't mm. know if you've ever had that. No. Uh, neither have I. Oh, I actually, think I'm, I might have had it some ages and ages ago. But I saw with interest that a drinks maker. Uh, now I'm going to pronounce this poorly, probably. Kue Chao Muay Thai. Um, has become China's most valuable publicly listed company, overtaking the country's biggest bank. That's, Sorry. I mean, that's, I know, that's what I did. I went, what? So how much is he worth? How oh, much is the company worth? Bucket loads. Bucket loads, bucket loads, bucket loads. Like if it's, if it's capitalised more than the Chinese bank, which I think owns a lot of the American debt, I think, or apparently that's the Japanese too, um, it's a lot. 
Um, apparently, the Kwecha uh, Muta is a luxury spirit favoured by Chinese politicians and business people looking to impress. Looking to impress. So this is how they, they like, you know, Westerners, you know, you take people around a golf course and they get an idea of a person they say, you know, that's sort of one of the big things about golf. Mm. So a round of golf, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. you know how someone's going to act. But a lot of it with Chinese, a lot of it is, you know, banquets and then drinking mutai and seeing how you handle your booze. So they impress by sharing this drink with others or they take a shot before they meet the others and and they... I think it'd be both. <laughs> I think it'd be one of the great gifts you could give someone is it'd be like giving someone a bottle of Grange Hermitage, mm. except, you know, the yeah, booze yeah. equivalent and also a luxury thing when drinking. But you can get this stuff at Dan Murphy's, I saw. There you go. That's what it looks mm. like. How much is that bottle? That bottle is... A bargain of three hundred and ninety nine dollars. Yeah, so that's like a bottle of white spirit. Three ninety nine ninety nine. Oh, ninety nine. Sorry. So actually, it's just four hundred dollars. But um, the company's share price has risen dramatically this year, pushing the value to new highs. Um, so yeah, it's like the Chinese, the most valuable thing in China, company wise. Oh, stop! I shouldn't do that. That's <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for doing that. My program manager will probably ring me about that. Stop banging the desk. Um, the most valuable thing in China is um, is this white spirit that they make. Anyway, just I thought that was uh, something to be remarked on. Nick Maluk, are you there? Cam Smith. Yeah, it's me. Loud and clear. Loud and clear. Roger that. How you doing? How are you, mate? Uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm doing good. I've been fuelled by uh, Betty Crocker recipe blueberry muffins, so, uh, you know. Used Perfect. Bit of, bit nothing, be- bit nothing of, better on a Sunday morning. No way, man. Bit of buttermilk in the mix, so, you know, you're adding to the acid, so it's softer, you get a bit of rise. It's not bad. That's what I like about you, Cam. There's always a backstory to the recipe, you know. <laughs> it's always about a bloody narrative, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It makes it more interesting. Uh, you got you got to have a narrative, and um, and you've got a bit of a narrative um, going on. Um, for those oh, that, I oh. uh, just maybe I'll just introduce you for those that might have uh, tuned in for the very first time, because this is I think about the third or fourth time we've had a chat on air now. Yeah, I think it's my fourth. I think it is too. Yeah, fourth time. Well, yeah, welcome yeah, back. Speaking my wife about it. Thank yeah, you. and good to um, be back. And it is good, always good to, to chat with you. And um, you, up until a while ago, were down there at um, South Bank, 8, eight Whiteman Street, as, yeah, as, <laughs> as, we, as we euphemistically call it. And uh, like everything else, lockdown came. And, and what was that like? Well, it was, pretty, it was pretty immediate for us, like it was for everyone. And, uh, yeah. On Whiteman Street there, we do a lot of fish at Atlantic Restaurant, and fish, we thought at the time, doesn't translate that well to takeaway. <laughs> no. So we shut the doors. No, you're right you know, there. There was no gaming at 8, 8 Whiteman Street either, so yeah. it all sort of shut down. I took a bit of a hiatus and, and spent re- a lot of time with the family. Reacquainted yourself with your bit. daughter. That's it, that's it. So we're, we're now besties. You know, she's my favourite, not mum's. Oh, wow. And, well, the, the power you know, shift has happened. It depends who's got the chocolate. You know? Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I took a bit of time off and reflected a little bit, and I went back to work last week, 
and launched the Atlantic again, mm. which was great. Great to get back in the kitchen. But while I was on that downtime, you know, for that three months or so, I decided maybe the time was up there and I'll try and go look for another opportunity somewhere. So I'm currently unemployed and loving it. Wow. <laughs> wow. And, it's a pretty and... scary time to be unemployed, but, you know. Hey, look, don't worry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you on that one. Don't you worry about that. I mean... <laughs> Uh, these uh, been living through these uncertain times, as so many of us have, who shared experience that are listening right now and will be able to empathise with you. But yeah, it was Look. so. But let, I just want to talk a bit about the um, the reason why, because you know, for a lot of people, this is a uh, pinnacle of profession because, you know, I remember talking to people in Gippsland about, you know, Nick Mullock, oh, yeah, no, he's a, he's, a bl- he's a bloody big shot chef down there in bloody Melbourne, mate. And That's how we talk too, yeah. Well, maybe it was a couple I did talk to. I talked a bit like that. I, they, they, did, they did say big shot chef, though. That was, that was yeah. I might have gilded the lily a little bit with the accent. Um, no, my sister would have definitely said it like that. I think it was your sister that said that, actually, yes. Um, who, who is a chef in her own right, and what's the name of her place that she's got? Miriam's. Beautiful yeah. little seafood restaurant upstairs on the Esplanade at Lake's entrance. Yeah, so when, when, you, plug there. when you are allowed out, please uh, go there, please. Um, but, yeah, so, but what was it that, that sort of motivated you? Oh, look, it's, you know, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but... It, it's that time to reflect and, and you look back at well, I've been there three years now and I feel like personally I've achieved a lot there and I've come a long way but you know you look back at your family and it's you know so many hours and nights and stuff when you're not there for them uh, my wife's having another baby in a couple of months six Ooh. to eight weeks and I just thought it might be a good time to make a clean break hopefully uh, get a newborn into the world and hopefully it's all safe and good and healthy and then maybe look for an opportunity after that. I spoke to a lot of peers and they said, look, if you can if you can snaffle a little break now, yeah. it's probably a great time to do it. And then hopefully when the world turns around again one day, it'll be a good time to get back into the workforce. So Yeah, they'll be ready for you. So, yeah, you, so you look at it as sort of a, uh, a – well, it is. It's a sabbatical, I guess. Call it that. Well, why not? So I'd, sort I'd, of, you know, yeah. Sounds nice and highfalutin. <laughs> I'm taking so, my you know, sabbatical. We're doing a lot of home cooking. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. Yeah, yeah. I will start using that. Sab- sabbatical rocks. Come on, it's like you're justified. <laughs> but um, so the the great thing is that you're able to connect with family because this is the thing. Um, about working in the hospitality industry is that it's a time vampire in that it just yeah. it sucks you in and you and I would imagine that a lot of the times you would get home after doing um, a double shift and your baby's in bed you don't see your baby or yeah absolutely yeah right <laughs> or or you might be getting home and they might be getting up for a feed or. You know, you, you might be stumbling through the door and, <laughs> and you might wake them up or something like that, which is, it's not really healthy for a, you know, six month old or something. But, yeah. you know, it's it's just giving you that time to reflect and the the time you spend at the restaurant, 
you create a bit of a family down there too. You know? oh, like, oh, absolutely. Those, those people become your family, and a little bit of time apart <laughs> from them, you, you start to enjoy your own family even more. So, hmm. you know, it's just one of those things. And the, the team, like, you know, every kitchen's the same it would be. There's so many internationals and visa holders and this, that, and the other that mm. had to go their own way due to certain things. And in a lot of ways, the team has been sort of broken up a little bit at Atlantic. And, you know, they've got a strong core anyway, so they're going to move forward no matter what. But in a way, the sort of the gang broke up a little bit and, yeah. It was time to go for me, so I'm I'm really happy with the, the sabbatical decision that I've made. There you go, see, it it's, it's, it sits well. <laughs> sabbatical decision, nice. What do you... it rolled off the tongue nicely too? It does does, and it sort of gives you <laughs> it gives people a vision of you in sort of a smoking jacket and a pipe or something like that, reading <laughs> read, reading a leather bound copy of something. Yeah, maybe a leather bound copy of the Three Little Bears or something. At the yeah, moment, nice. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so, and uh, what have you been cooking? Tell, tell us a bit about, you know, because l- let's just uh, go, uh, the Atlantic is, um, it's, it's, it's very much ingredient-led that, you know, you have the, the very, very best seafood with sort of some technique, but, you know, it's, would, it, would, it, would, it, would I be right in sort of saying it's really about letting the, um, the product speak? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what I've written the whole menu about, high-end ingredients, beautiful products, yeah. and just treating them really simply. So yeah. you hit the nail on the head. Okay. But uh, at home, you can't really get away with that, I don't think. <laughs> well, you can. You can when you do it, but you don't want to be spending about 20 bucks a head on dinner. No, you, you kind of blown, <laughs> the, blown the budget a little bit, and you'd be thinking about that. And you've been saying that you've been, you've been doing beans every week. Well, yeah, it's one of those things. You go to the market or you go to the grocer and the beautiful bloody beans are staring you in the face. So we've been uh, been having sort of a bloody bean minestrone-ish sort oh. of soup every week and a few leftovers, which just fills the house with these beautiful warming aromas, you know. Yeah. There's a bit of parmesan rind in there, oh. a little bit of, you know, bacon or prosciutto or guanciale scrap or something like that. Yeah. Uh, a few beans, a few veg, you know, whatever's lying around. Got a few broccoli and Brussels sprouts in the garden, so I rip a few leaves off them every now and then and throw them through at the end, which is quite nice, you know. A few greens in there as well, so that's that's been a staple of ours. And you, you've actually given me a little bit of inspiration, Cam, on your uh, no. eat it. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah the um, the chicken, the Moroccan chicken and couscous. I was thinking about, you know applying the same flavours to a sort of like a Moroccan fish stew, which I might do next week, which I'm uh, pretty pumped about as well. You're not talking about my Instagram account, Cam Smith Eater, are you? Not plug. (laughs) Yes, I am, yeah. How's that for a... And what a detailed recipe you put up this week. Oh, yeah, I I ran out of words. There was actually more to it. I had to cut it down. Yeah, it's, um, that's, geez, that's a good recipe. Um, Did it turn out really good? Were you happy with it? Um. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I really, yeah. really, really was. Um, oh, one thing. I, I think I might have had a martini before I um, did the final things, and I forgot to put the sultanas <laughs> in in with the couscous. <laughs> um, that was that was a disappointment. But I made up for it because it makes great leftovers the next day. So um, I, I warmed it up. But um, yeah, it was Perfect. it was really really great to use something that had saffron in it. 
Um, yeah. Because Saffron's really amazing um, and a little bit of heat. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good recipe. If you want to check it out, check out, um, as I said, that, that Insta thing. But, um, yeah, also green olives um, and chicken just work really, really well. Mm. But, sorry, uh, um, um, oh, oh, sorry. I go. wanted to quickly go back. Thank you. That's really kind of you to say that, that you, you're going to cook oh, no something worries. that I might have made. Gosh, thank you, <laughs> Chef. Um, but um, the um, two things I want to just reflect on. One is the yeah. incredible beauty of a borlotti bean of when you when you pot out a borlotti bean and you have these jewels they're like they're like the opals of the bean world they they are a beautiful glossy jewel when you pot them out of that shell aren't they they're they're gorgeous Mm. Mm. and the other the other one oh sorry i didn't let let, okay speak sorry go on sorry nick no no well, I was just—I was just going to say until your daughter, sort of, until my daughter tries to eat one raw and then <laughs> sits it on the bench again. <laughs> Doesn't look so nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's knowledge plus experience equals wisdom, I think. So, yeah, that's you only, you, learn. Well, only learn. only do that once. But the other thing is, um, for those that have never experienced a parmesan rind, mm. can you maybe just explain why people should never? Never throw away that end of the parmesan. Oh, oh, because man. of the unbelievable Ooh. salty umami, oh, spongy, a little bit musty. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and then when you yeah you suck all that you know the goodness off the right. Oh, it's just, it gives the such a depth of flavour into anything you put it when you when you apply heat. It soaks into it. It expands like a bit of uh, like a like a dried mushroom or something like that. And the flavour it gives to whatever you put it in is just unbelievable. Just this umami bomb. Yeah, and there'll be just goes off in, you know. and there'll be fights for who gets the um, <laughs> who gets the Parmesan rind. Absolutely, you, you absolutely. Better... So if it's you are the make... for sure. If you are going to make a soup, make sure you put um, a Parmesan rind in. Um, in mm. about a minute or so that we've got left, um, any other things that you've been cooking and doing or looking forward to? And I will let you speak. Um, not really. I've got some really nice focaccia on today. I thought Ooh. one of my uh, Italian chefs I used to work with, Eros, he, used to, he made this uh, uh, focaccia from... Puglia with a potato in it and smashed tomatoes and olives on top. So I've got a little dough on for that. Today. Oh, wow. Have you, got a, have you got a recipe for that? Oh, I've got a recipe. It's roughly 250 semolina, 350 double O, 350 water, a potato. What sort of potato? Mealy? Mealy or waxy? Mealy. Mealy, yeah. Just you to lighten it up, and that's what yeah. does it really lightens it up. Yes. A bit of salt, a bit of sugar or honey, and... Heaps of olive oil when you bake it. It's sort of in between a pizza and a pasta. I mean, a pizza and a focaccia. Well, that sounds but good. The yeah. key is to smash those tomatoes with all the juice all over the top, so it sort of goes really <laughs> soft and smarty on the top, yeah. crunchy and oily on the bottom. Oh, stop Unbelievable. Can you? Uh, I think. Look up a recipe. I, I was going to say, can you maybe put that on your Instagram? I can. I will. I haven't uh, posted for a while, so I'll put it up. Yeah, do it. And so that'll be Nick yeah. Maluk, N I C K M A H L O K. So do that again. Nick Maluk, M A H L O K. Say hi to your sister for me up there in Lakes Entrance. Yeah. Make sure you go and visit her one day. 
Well, and that goes for everybody else. Gippsland needs your help, people. It really, really does. Um, we don't want you to be a stranger now that you've left the Atlantic. Nick, we've um, loved talking to you, and I hope we can continue with that. Me too, mate. It's great to talk to you today. Always good. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. See ya. Very good morning to you. Unfortunately, you haven't woven your magic. There's no sun, but it is uh, July. Well, it is true, and it certainly feels like July coming in. Uh, there's Actually, this is uh, it's been very, very calm. There's not a lot of wind around. Yeah, actually, that's what I like about it. You know, there's no biting wind last week or earlier this week as well. There was uh, a biting wind, and you really knew that you were alive, oh, and yeah, uh, a little sure. bit of water, and you feel that dampness. Yes. So hopefully the dampness will go away, because tomorrow we're making sausage. This is the ideal time. Hey, it's happened. Okay, so it's that time of the uh, of year in the Italian calendar. Uh, there was one thing I wanted just to bring up. I think we talked about it two weeks ago when we spoke last. Um, cold weather is great for a lot of things. Maybe not for humans out in a field, all naked. <laughs> but, for, but for a cabbage or a Brussels sprout, mm. definitely because... Um, Brussels sprouts, once they get a frost, the um, sharpness comes out of them and they're sweet and they're lovely to just steam or boil or, or pull to bits and throw in a fry pan like the modern chefs do. I wonder what that is. There must be some sort of um, a chemical that's released that sweetens the, um, these things once the, the weather gets cold. I, I'd say so and also they're in their own element. It's like everything, you know, if we... Um, uh, not too cold and not too hot. We feel good. Mm. We feel invigorated, mm. and we get on with it. And I think the uh, plants are the same. That's, you know, that's just their range. It's that's sort right. Of like, hey, this is when I'm happy. Yeah. Now, okay. So now is the time to uh, uh, to make coleslaw, to do cabbage rolls, uh, to do um, let's see what else. Brussels sprouts with. All the myriad things that you can do. Your your dad, who had too much butter with them and pepper. Yes, definitely. Because we mash our Brussels sprouts. We yes. undercook them, if anything, and then mash them. And all the sulphur comes out. And you put the beautiful black pepper and um, butter or even olive oil if you want to be a little bit healthier. So you're sort of mashing them while they're still a little bit green. That is undercooked. Yeah. And then you sort of cook it out in the pan? Or no, it's still not necessarily. Still if, green? if you've got to the right texture that you like yes like i said not overcooked and not undercooked too much oh my god and then we we're back to the goldilocks zone yeah where well, everybody at the table's nodding at each other going yeah the brussels sprouts are good but that's what it is with cooking you yes. know we all cook things to our own likings some people like al dente pasta i don't yeah so when it's right for me it's right for me yeah. and, every, and we can all get along now you wanted to do a little bit of uh, red capsicum show and tell We've well, got three in front of us here. Actually, it's a good time to do a, a show and tell because, like I said, we're making sausage. Mm. Um, but we don't put any capsicum sauce into our salome at all. Uh, we just put hot chilli flakes oh, and okay. uh, salt. Oh, OK, but so you're not lot... doing the full calabrese mm, sauce? No, no, no we no, come no, from no. the middle of the boot, mate. Oh, yeah, OK, so none, right. none of this full-on capsicum calabrese yeah. style. No. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Just, 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 just before you go with the capsicums... 
fennel? You put fennel seed? No, I hate fennel. If you so grind chilly. it, if you grind it fine, I don't mind. Yeah. But I don't put fennel. If I get fennel in my tooth after I've stopped eating a sausage, I um, get that John. fennel burst. Yes, and I do get angry. It's fennel it's rage. <laughs> so, because okay. then you forget the taste of the sausage. So, okay. um, it, like I said, if it's ground up fine into the sausage, not bad, because you get that bang early. But when you get it at the end, it doesn't do it for me. Um, All right, and back, you, you back, picked this beautiful... Back to the capsicums, because yeah, I saw big, these... heavy, red, thick, flesh so, capsicum. We talk about coming and picking the eyes out of the market. So the first thing I did was I had a look at this stall, and, and I saw this. And this is sort of... It's a short capsicum, but it, the flesh is... Thick. And the vibrancy of the colour is unbelievable. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, and it weighs, that's about close to 200 grams. Actually, a little bit more, maybe even three and a bit. Three and a bit, yeah. So yeah. That's, it's, it's heavy and it's, oh, my God, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. This came out of Queensland. Yes. Now, before they used to grow sugar cane from here to the horizon... Now they grow capsicums from here to the horizon one Sugar side. Sugar came from here to the horizon. Yeah. That's very evocative. It is, because yeah. when I went there the first time, I, I was um, overcome by the uh, quantity, the enormity yes. of the plantings, because all you could see was sugarcane. Yeah, right. And then I went many years later, and on the left side of the road was eggplant for as far as you could see, yeah. and the other side was capsicum as wow. far as... And it was gorgeous. You know, really... So, this is unbelievable. You imagine the amount of food that's coming out of here. Now, these varieties are a little bit um, thicker and juicier, mm. but a little bit higher in acid. Ah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, sometimes um, when we have a fry-up, I have to be careful how many I eat. I can't eat too many of them because um, sometimes they might repeat on me. Sometimes they might make the digestive system work a little bit faster and things like that. But they are the ideal capsicum to make a sauce if you're going to make, a, say, a coolie to put on the bottom of a plate if you want to be really fancy or put them into a, a, a sausage or even if you're making um, a hamburger and you can put some in the mince just to spice it up a little bit. My mum used to do that. She used to call them Hungarian hamburgers. Well, there you go, mate, and you're still not happy about it. <laughs> I, I can't just, believe it, I used mate. to just think it was kind of funny. Uh, if you had a seen Cameron's face, mate, that has said it all, but, you know... You have to appreciate things if... if I, did, mum... I did, I did. And she, she was having a go, and that was the great thing. She did lots of different variations. I love... You talked about before making a coolie out of this, um, where I would roast this, and then I would um, stick it in a food processor or a blender or a stab mixer, um, a little bit of seasoning, and underneath something, um, whether if you're an omnivore piece of fish, um, if you're a vegetarian... Grilled asparagus under, on yeah, top of that. That'd yeah, be nice. Yeah, yes, definitely. Lots of pepper and maybe a little bit of balsamic yeah. vinegar. Or even um, a, a bit of ciabatta that's about three to four centimetres thick, grilled, you know, stuck under the grill and really crispy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, a, and a nice bit of butter on top and then all that capsicum oh. on top soaked into the bread. But I've got a customer, he, he'll buy... 20 or 30 of these at a time mm. and uh, 20 or 30 very, very ripe tomatoes yeah, and yeah. he'll make either uh, a, a soup, either a greater blend, more tomato and a little bit of capsicum or a lot of capsicum with a little bit of tomato. Yeah. And then when I have dinner parties, he reckons everyone loves it because it's something they don't do at home. Yeah, I bet. Um, now, I've got a smaller capsicum here. 
It's beautiful and vibrant as well. A little bit softer, not as thick on the flesh. Thinner walls. Thinner walls. This yep. came out of South Australia. It's a much, much sweeter capsicum. A slightly different red too. A different red, yes. Slightly, just a shade. Yeah. Different temperature, different soil. Yeah. But beautiful. These are very, very sweet. Beautiful in a salad raw. I don't eat raw capsicum though. Mm. Um, very high in vitamin C. And then we've got our beautiful thick bullhorn. Um, these are very thick flesh. Uh, this one's a little bit crooked, not so good to stuff, but beautiful and straight. They are normally nice to yeah. char grill. Yes. Um, and, up. and that was one of my notes from last night when I was writing to come and see you. Can you tell us uh, your stuffing mixture again? Uh, we make our own breadcrumbs, panko breadcrumbs, and we put uh, anchovy and anchovy no, I, 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 I just gave that look. At yeah, 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 yeah. Good on you. Parsley, <laughs> yes. garlic, yes. black pepper. A little bit of cheese if you like. You don't have to put grated cheese in, but you yeah. can. Um, currants. Currants. And crushed walnuts. Oh, yes, yeah, anchovies. Walnuts. Yeah, you need that little bit of anchovy oil as well. Yes. You mix it all up. Yeah. Then you shove it in. And do you remember what I said to you last time about the plug in the end? <laughs> yeah. You were making some sort of rude illusion. I remember that at the time. Yes, we get a, um, the crust of the bread and, oh, right. yes. <laughs> and, and we, we stick it in the end so the stuffing doesn't fall out. So it's a bit like a cork. Yes. 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 So I won't say it again. <laughs> Not to uh, scandalise you, as we say in oh, Italian. No, God, you'll make me blush, John. Don't do it. Um, yeah, so the capsicums, we put them down at $3. Now, it's mm. the middle of winter. Yes. And don't forget, they come from North Queensland, so that's throwing them out the door. This is $3 a kilo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, this. I'm holding up the very, very first one, this 300-gram beauty. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were selling seven, eight dollars a kilo. Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed by that. All right. um, oh gosh, we, we need to probably get a move on. I'm going to get you to do the pick of the market. Pick of the market. You know what I'm really going to do? We're going to have corned beef and cabbage this week. I think. Whoa. I'm feeling it. You know, as soon as you feel a little bit cold, you like to change the menu a bit. Yeah. So we'll get a side of corned beef that's been pickled. Are you brisket or silver side? Um, I'm not particularly fast. Okay. Uh, I'll eat either, and I'll eat either cold in a sandwich as well. Oh, yeah. Um, beautiful Aussie tomato sauce on top. That's my uh, downfall. My wife reckons I'm crazy, but if you don't have tomato sauce yeah. on it, it's not corned beef and cabbage. That's why we might part yeah. ways, too. I'm English, hot English mustard myself. Well, yeah, you can do and a combination. Your own. Beautiful potatoes in that as well with carrots and so on. Mm. Um... And also we'll have a couple of roasts as well on the side. We've got lovely Swedes here. Parsnips looking a little bit tired, but they roast up beautifully as well. Um, the beans ran away because they're just so nice. They come from Gympie up in Queensland. I've got local peas out of Victoria. They're like sugar. People are saying that they've never had peas that are so sweet. No, it's expensive, really? yes, but yeah. it's worth it. Like a lot of things, you pay what you get. That's it. That's it. Um, passion fruit. I'm going to put. I'm oh, going to put in a call for passion. I'm there's an abundance six everywhere. Six for two dollars. Yeah, that's the um, old varieties. There's Panama ones as well. Yeah. Um, we've got a, a thirteen or fourteen varieties of tomatoes as usual. Um, people have been making soups and uh, still having sandwiches as well. Cucumbers, unfortunately, are feeling the cold, so the flowers are not coming on. No flower, no cucumber. So they're twelve bucks a kilo. Been seeing that. Well, you still need to eat, so you buy a few. 
Uh, zucchini, big ones you can pay three dollars a kilo. Look over there, two fifty so, for those. Two fifty, oh yeah, yeah change the price again. They're medium size. Yes, we've got the baby ones at I think six dollars. Wow. Um, but they are really nice. They'd be nice to cut in half and um, scoop out the insides and stuff and shove in a, a pan in the oven for not too long. Yeah, sounds good. Um, eggplant as well. They're seven dollars, but they're still worth the money. Mm. No, he's got some over there, four dollars. I wonder how old they are. They but pretty, still, look, they're looking pretty shiny. Actually. Old eggplant are beautiful to cook. Uh, I'd say they're hydro, and he probably picked them up dirt cheap. Because okay. I try to avoid hydro. And, got... and don't forget, as John says, see, I'm remembering what you're saying. Um, if it's a little bit squishy, it's okay with an eggplant. Yeah, it needs you a bit of give. You don't want them to be so hard. If they're really, really hard, we find that they're bitter or they're full of seeds, mm. and that's when you have to salt them. And even then, you may not fix them. So you know, get out there and try them. I did, I did a Japanese thing with those. Oh yeah, me too. And you know, you do the, the miso, the white miso, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the and the mirin, and, uh-huh. the, and you smear. And it sometimes on. Franca just puts um, uh, one of the sauces on them and shoves them under the grill. She yeah. got. Really? Yeah, yeah, we do a miso. Things. Frank has got miso at home. Yeah, yeah. but some Aussies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, mate, come on. Mate, we're co- common sewers, not just Aussies, mate. <laughs> we eat anything anytime. Okay. Um, yeah, so what can I say? Get out there, look around. There's Brussels sprouts that you were talking about before. Beautiful white cauliflowers. How much? Uh, cauliflower. No, Brussels. Uh, oh, I'm not selling them anymore, but you get them five, six bucks. That's about the average you'll pay. Okay. Cauliflower's back down to three fifty a piece. You'll get two to three meals out of that. So walk around. There's an abundance of fruit: mandarins, pears, apples, grapes. You name it, it's there. It's all here. It's here. Oh, sorry, my, my eyes were wandering across at all the. <laughs> and he was looking bounty. at the veggies too. Yeah. John, as always, thank you very much. La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita. I hope you have a beautiful meal, Franca Cooks. You something beautiful. Look forward to hearing what it is. No worries. Take care. So now it's time for Duncan Buchanan's Wonderful World of Wine. Do you like that little clavinet for you there, Duncan? Never, ever enough of that, Cam. No. I could just listen to that for the next 20 minutes and I'd be a happy, happy boy. I uh, know, it's just it was an extended little uh, intro for you because, uh, wow, we've <laughs> given you some extra time today. Good lordy, Miss Cordy. You're lucky you and I both love a chat, Cam. Yeah, tell you what, we can, uh, we can talk. We can talk. Oh, you're up on the hill. I can hear the ambience. <laughs> Yeah, talking to 12 feet of wet cement with a mouthful of marbles, as they say. Actually, chat, your chat with Nick, Melissa Elliott, was very, very good because we've got this thing at my joint mm. where, well, have children, so yes. the Monday to Thursday meals are somewhat meat and three veg because we're busy. You know, you can't spend all day in the kitchen yeah, um, come on. on those work days. So, so what Lucy and I have decided to do every Friday and Saturday night we will go. We will nominate one dish each for either of those nights, and the other one just has to eat it. There's no pissing and moaning. Going, you can eat it because I don't like it. You I just got to do it. I don't like Brussels sprout ice cream. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I don't like it. And do it. That famous turd sausage that we've never oh, spoken about. Yes. yes but oh. the um. But we had um. But 
when he was talking about the end of the palms, I'm like, easy. I make myself a, a lovely pot of minestrone because the end of the palms and in the end of the pot of minestrone mm-hmm. is perfect. So decision made. I'm stoked to pieces. And then you start talking to John and you're talking about uh, corned beef and cabbage. I'm like, oh, oh no, nah, oh, that's just oh. been superseded now. <laughs> yes, so we're going yeah. corned beef and cabbage this week. Yes. Do you do um, roasty potatoes with um, with your corned beef? What's 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 your starch? Um, I don't I get potatoes for sure. I don't mind. I don't mind mash with it because if you have some sort of, I, I like your idea of the hot English mustard with. Yeah. But I do like to have something a bit maybe crunchy potatoes with it. Yeah. Not. not I do any excuse to eat crunchy potatoes is a good one in my book. Also, corned beef, I, I don't dare say this to John because he's got his ways of doing things and, you know, that's just the way it is. But um, uh, with corned beef, I usually bring it to the boil a couple of times, get rid of the water, so you get rid of all that stuff. Um, but yeah. uh, in the flavourings, um, yeah. there's a little bit of brown sugar, there's a little bit of mustard powder, but the skin of an orange... Really? Yeah, mate. Because that because it it just makes it so much more fragrant, and you just don't have you know, like if you happen to have a vegetarian come over, is that just boiled meat you've got in there? It's like well, at least it's it smells a bit more fragrant, and a few coriander seeds is nice in there too. Oh, exactly right. And everybody knows that orange is a vegetable. It makes, <laughs> makes your corned beef vegetarian straight away, Ken. You're, no, you're an alchemist. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I really need to quit while I'm ahead. I also need to apologise to someone again on Instagram that I talked about something as being vegetarian and I put oyster sauce on it and I got into trouble for that. So, um, oh, yeah, apologies for, yeah. for that one. But... Um, you said that you've uh, one of the things you've been able to do is um, travel around and and meet your tribe, and you love yeah. your tribe. Well, okay, yeah, yes, I do. I absolutely adore them. Question without notice, Cam. Describe. Tell me what the describe a winemaker. Uh, winemaker he usually has uh, red back boots from the mm-hmm. from the top description wise. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually old jeans. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, they're, they're, it's weird. They they they're they're a tribe, you know. They're they're they they are a thing, and yet you have these different subsets from within. The diversity is what I love, Cam. So yes. part of what I do, obviously, I make brews for myself. But um, the part of what I do is winery setup. So you know, I travel around the joint, catching up with people, seeing what they need for their winery, and the diversity of person that you will find that classifies themselves as a winemaker is extraordinary. It's just so, and it is so much fun because everybody's got their different opinion. You know, you've got the very um, lab-focused, very... Um, Shall we call them interventionists? Uh, not just very sciencey. So oh, sciencey, okay. Yeah, you know, so, and they, they, you know, they're very much, about, they're very much about the numbers and they, you know, they love their lab coat and they love their laboratory. And then that'll work, and you've got the, you know, the very farmer, the very agricultural types. Seriously, they look like that bleed hydraulic fluid. You know, they just, uh, just... Right. <laughs> have a, have uh, a couple that, dogs usually behind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, you know, yeah, always, <laughs> well, not always behind, because they, they love to come and say hello. Yes. But, um, and they're, they're very much the more agricultural ones, which I, you know, I have a certain uh, affinity with because, as you've said a million times, it's, um, 
you know, all we do is ferment grape juice. So make sure your grape juice is right, and then your wines will be fine. That's pretty. That's pretty simple, pretty yeah. simplistically put. But that's very true. So I have a certain favouritism for those those types of blokes. But then there's um and ladies, not just blokes, ladies. Yes. And, and that's that. Actually, I must admit that is the other thing. The um, there's a good the. It's not the male domain that some people may think it is. Not There's anymore. There's a great deal of um, gender diversity. It, it's wonderful. It's really, really good. So, and with that comes, it's you know, it's on um, a difference in input. But then you then you have the um, the other ones that are people who have come from other professions <laughs> yes. into the winemaking sphere. Usually, who have made uh, bags and bags and bags of money. Um, well, not necessarily, Cam. Certainly there are the ones that have made bags and bags and bags of money, but they typically will have about as much to do with their winemaking as Ronald McDonald has to do with Swinton Burgers. They, um, not, some of them aren't that intimately involved. They have a lot to do with the, with the say-so of what goes on with those wines, mm. but they, you know, a lot of people are just bankrolling. But the, um, I think the ones that the... People who make sommelier turn winemaker. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Insert uh, Adam Foster into this one, and he has made the he's made that transition beautifully. Some of his booze, his booze is just extraordinary. Um, this is we're, made, we're talking about the the Cirami label. Yes, and we yes. are talking Foster about Foster the Imposter, which he first got his name when he did his first vintage in Rhone, I think it was, and they said. This is impossible. An Australian can't make wine as good as this, or something like that. Yeah, right. I don't know. I, I, don't, I thought you, you called him Foster, uh, Foster the Imposter because it rhymed and it, you know. Right, it was it was easy. <laughs> yeah, it was easy. You know, we haven't we but, haven't um, spoken to Adam for a while. He's um, yeah, no, we need to catch up actually. But yeah, what was it about Fozzie that you, you liked? He was comes from the sommelier side of things. Yeah, chef sommelier, chefing sommelier, and then into the into the winemaking sphere, and they just—I think because people who go that way, especially the sommelier, they've got the palate for wine. They know what good, yeah. they know what the good product is, and maybe so they, they know what they, people want too. Very true, very true. But um, and I think if that once you know, you kind of got to know your product, don't you? I mean, you know. I've heard people say to me once or twice, oh, yeah, you know, you're a winemaker. Do you even drink wine? I'm like, Jesus. Have you right. seen the 6,000 billion burst capillaries in the end of my nose? Of course I yeah. drink wine. Hello. And it's, but it's, uh, you know, some people wondered whether it might be that, like that the people who work in the chocolate factory can't stand chocolate anymore. It's like, no, quite the contrary. You need to know what your product's about in order to make it well. And that's where sommeliers come into it well. That's why they come into the profession pretty well. And the, maybe, and also say the great thing about this sommelier is the fact that they have imprinted on their brains. I don't know what part of the brain it is, hippocampus. I don't know. Just guess. Um, sure. Just all those, um, all those, all those flavour and scent memories that are just gradually built up over the years too, and associations. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. The the, uh, the palate memory, as we call it. Palate you know, memory. You need to be, um, and this is going to sound like the biggest excuse for an unnecessary sip ever, but you need to be drinking often or tasting often in order to, it's like exercising any part of your body. Yeah. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. So you need to be, you know, looking at wines as frequently as possible, looking at a great diversity of wines in order to keep that up and running. And that's, you're exactly right, Ken. That's the way, that's where sommeliers coming up so well. Because years and years of experience of looking, of, uh, you know, looking at different wines and, 
there's a variety of stuff. And I think the, the really good ones still have the passion and the interest for it. Well, so maybe, they can keep, can, can keep developing that. Sorry? I, I, you've just inspired me to, uh, mm-hmm. to have a great have a excuse for my, my drinking and saying that I'm thinking of going for my Master of Wine. <laughs> I stopped arguing by, with my accountant about a decade ago who was like, you can't claim wine at the expense. I'm like, mate, I've got to taste well yeah. in order to do my job. Yeah. Just put that through, thanks. But, yeah, but, but I, I, I remember who – Kate, uh, Kate, Kate, Kate McIntyre? Kate? Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, she's, she's, a, she's an MA, isn't she? Or what? Yeah, she is, yeah. And I remember, yeah, you know – the the talk that you'd hear are going oh yeah I'm gonna to have to go and drink all these Romanian wines or yeah. I got to understand uh, Greek retsina and you just it's a great excuse to drink. I, <laughs> it's, it, it is it's a good. great it's a really good excuse to drink, which is why I know a lot of us, myself included, do dry July because like, it's a really good excuse not to drink. Just give yourself that break and come back refreshed. But that's you're, you're absolutely right, Katie Mack. She's a point for it. She's just she's an absolutely amazing person. And um, we used to have her on the, on the show all the time when we were doing planting. She, she's got that handy knack. She's a great communicator. Yes. Um, so he's got that handy knack of saying something that you, makes you feel like you probably almost just knew it but didn't quite until she said it. <laughs> it's a gift. <laughs> she's, she's got that gift. Yeah, but um, before you, <laughs> but my, I think one of my all time, my one of my favourite um, professions that people will step from in order to get into the winemaking sphere is the straight out chef gone straight into winemaking because there's, I don't know how do I mm. say this politely, can there can be a certain mania that goes on with some chefs. Am I offending anybody by saying this? Am I getting this stab? I hope I, not. I said it. Yeah, mate. Hope not. <laughs> Hope not. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. Some, some white-shirted, checkered-panted uh, person comes screaming up at me. You said what, mate? But um, there's a. I've bumped into a few of late. I just love it. They just yeah. There's a, a certain amount of um, yeah, some sort of mania that goes on with uh, that that type of personality. And they're and they're good. But then again, when they're chefs, they have that that palate memory. They know what flavors are, and they know what yeah. flavors work. And, and what goes with that? Yeah, actually, I was going to think, I was going to joke and say, well, Nick, we've probably got a job for you, but actually, Nick, Nick was pretty calm behind the um, behind the pass. Well, most of the time when I saw him anyway, but um, yeah, Nick, yeah. maybe that's it, mate. Winemaking. But that, yeah, who knows? Please don't think you're going to get rich. But, the, um, but that <laughs> is, it's part of the, <laughs> it's part of the, and that's it, we don't get rich. We, I mean, we all do these various jobs because we love them. We really, really enjoy what we do. It's, you know, two things you must do, otherwise you will die, is eat and drink. Mm. And there are two things that you can make a hell of a lot of fun. And that's, you know, part of the joy of it, I suppose. You get around seeing all these different personalities that are, you know, just so diverse and just so opinionated. Like, you know, everybody thinks what they're doing is 100% wrong and everybody else is a fool and all the stuff that goes along with but we all just want to have, you know, have a good time around the dinner table or the lunch table or whatever it may be, you know, having some great food and booze. And, it's, you know, it's, I mean, you can imagine the conversations. You've got, you know, a table of 10, you know, at least six of them are, are winemakers, especially if they've got their own booze on the table. It's like, oh, oh dear. Oh, yeah. Uh, will this end in tears or will it not? Yeah, and then there's, there's one other personality that we haven't brought into it, which is the person who's just come through the wine industry, the great... Uh, and this is sexist. It's the great man, and I'm thinking of someone like Murray Tyrrell. Yep. 
And how, how do you describe Murray Tyrrell? I... Uh, uh, it sounds like you know a fair bit more about him than me, so you might want to you might want to field that one, mate. Oh well, okay. Uh, Tyrrell's Winery. Um, he's sort of the yeah, one yeah, who's yeah. he was a he was a maverick. Um, he yeah. was he was apparently he was the one who brought Pinot to Australia because he uh, jumped over the fence because the CSIRO were doing <laughs> doing trials and he nicked a few a uh, few branches and and started uh, started his own clones from stolen property like that allegedly um, he would uh, apparently declare every vintage to be the best vintage ever even if the whole your whole vineyard was full of phylloxera he would still go ah oh, best vintage ever um, he was yeah, famous exactly. Get for it while it's fresh. yeah riding around on a white horse type thing you know he was um, uh, you, you well, and, that's, and that's, that's smart. I mean, that's a smart way to tackle. I mean, you've got to, you know, as we often said before too, Cam, I mean, ground goes to make a mine, easy. Trying to sell the stuff, that's get, that gets difficult. But yeah. trying to get the money once you've sold, that's even more difficult. So part of you has got to be the salesman. I think that's why the unvarying um, personality... And he was. Yeah, they just exist in the industry because, you know, that... You know, if you're making wine, you should be a really good salesperson for your own days because, you think, know, his personality shows through in that wine. Think Wolf Blass. Yeah, oh, exactly. Shows you bow tie. And, but he was, um, yeah, he was, he was, that was his brand. And he yes. He himself very, very well. Really yeah. well, I reckon. And, um, yeah, and I think one that we, ha- that we have left out is the, the uh, people who haven't got into wine making that have been born into it. I think there's um, there's some in- incredibly good personalities. You know, I'm not going to name any for fear of offending, but there's some wonderful winemaking families that have been at it for generations, and it's just part of what they do. There's no razzmatazz, no glitz and glamour about it. You know, the ones that are essentially farmers who have found their niche in winemaking, and it's uh, you know, to be to be um, acquainted with some of those people, and it, it's been wonderful. But I just I want to sort of have this chat because. I don't know. I didn't want people to think that, you know, winemakers, you see these rich bastards that, you know, inherited the earth and all of a sudden have a winery. You know, there's all sorts of different ways you can get into what we do. You know, you don't need to own huge tracts of land and have, you know, acres and acres and acres and crates. There's different ways you can, you know, skin this particular cat. And it's, um, yeah, the the varying personalities make it just, yeah, such such a joy to be part of. Well, it's a diverse group, and as you were sort of saying to paraphrase, you you don't have to be a merchant banker. Um, we're going to have to probably leave off because uh, still here is uh, getting ready still to there? go. Uh, yeah, still there. Um, so yeah, what's in the pot tonight? In the in the uh, thirty seconds we have. Oh, what do, what do, oh, Syrian chicken. Lucy's in the kitchen making it as we speak, so it'll sit for the afternoon. I might try and get out for a bike ride. And um, that'll be it, I reckon. Mm. It's a bit of an indoorsy day, so I reckon a fair bit of reading by the fire. By the mid I'm normally you know, keen on a tipple. But like I said, dry July is underway, and my liver loves me for it. So it'll be a cup of tea and a biscuit and a book by the fire, I reckon, Cam. Yeah, I can have a second iced Vova. That's lovely, mate. Um, Duncan, always a pleasure to chat. We will no doubt speak yeah, with you um, in, a, in a little while. Thank you for coming up the hill to get that reception. Many thanks. See you later, buddy. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink. 
broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 